figure a good way to start this podcast is with a story about two of my friends, and they play critical roles regarding movies like Marvel's Black Panther that recently was released. One is in the category of pre, and one is the category of post. And what I mean by that is one of my friends is guaranteed to see any comic book-related film before I do. And I go pretty early, and I see most, if not all of them. The other one always goes to see them, but after I go see them, and I think on purpose. So here's how it plays out. This past week, Marvel released Black Panther. I took my wife to see it on Friday. Was it late morning? Friday late morning or early afternoon? Can't remember. And it was just my wife and I, not my sons. We went and saw it, and for me, typically... Knowing that we didn't take the boys means I was going to have to make arrangements for them to see the movie otherwise. So in my mind, we were going to go see it, and then I would just drop them off the next day to go see the movie on their own. Um, so before I went and saw the movie, I was reading updates from my buddy who saw it on Thursday night. The pre-guy saw it on Thursday night, as he always does. And it was all thumbs up. And I try to really dodge media before... I see a movie if I'm going to see it. I don't want to see the, I'll see the first trailer. I don't want to see anything else. I don't want to see any reviews. I don't want to see anything. I don't want to hear from anybody. By the time I left the theater, I had changed my mind from we're going to drop off the boys to I'll be back tomorrow with the boys because I really enjoyed it. That night, I was sitting next to my son and my buddy Doug called, who was the post guy who always calls first to check. So he called and he said, so what did you think? And I was sitting next to my son who hadn't seen it, and I didn't want to say anything. So I was kind of tight-lipped. And he goes, okay, so I see you're not going to give me much. Um, if you were to rate it from 1 to 10, what do you give it? So I'm sitting there. And I said, okay. Assuming The Empire Strikes Back is our gauge for 10, he immediately stops me and goes, <laughs> Wait a minute. If you're bringing up Empire Strikes Back, don't even tell me. I'm going to see it tomorrow. <laughs> and that's the story. Welcome to the Super Fantastic Show. This is Bebo. The Super Fantastic Show. Last Thursday, Marvel released what I, their 18th uh, installment of their MCU franchise. We're all huge fans. It's the Black Panther. It was heavily influenced by people in our network. The voice of Black Panther was well-received by the audience. $218 million grand opening. And I've already gone to see it twice. I took my wife, and then I took my whole family the second time. It was date night and then family day. And the second time was as good as the first. I want to talk about the film on a surface level, on deeper levels. I want to talk about the images. I want to talk about the messages in the film. And I want to talk with people who I know love the film. So I asked two very good friends of ours to join us on the Super Fantastic Show today. Lance, Lance Williams, Lance, Lance a lot links, Lance Millions. Lance, the man with the plan. Lance is the guy who I can count on to have seen every Marvel movie before I have. 
<laughs> who can, who definitely keeps all of us in the loop in terms of when is the release date, what's going on with the delay, what happened, why is the director change, how was the story engaged with the comic books. So, Lance, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And Inga Willis, Inga, who told me early this morning, I'm ready. I'm ready. When we talked about online, the next steps in terms of what, what happens after after this past weekend. Inga, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And you know, Glad we have... I decided not to have this conversation without a sister present. I'm that, prepared. That's right. That's right. You were necessary. Thank you. As usual, we have Dr. Maurice Dolberry, University of Washington, doctor of multicultural education, and all-around smart guy, D-Bray, what's up? What up, though? And Dr. Roddy Ferguson, the man who needs no introduction, the Negro who invented the Nike swoosh. <laughs> what's up, Ferg? I, I, if you want to see what Wakanda looks like, it looks like me. <laughs> Yo. Here we go. I have a series of topics, questions. I want to hear you guys' candid response. I want to, I want to trade ideas with you. And uh, let's see what I missed in the show that you might have picked up and, and let's trade perspective. I think one of the first things that stood out to me was the imagery of how women were portrayed in the movie. One of the first things after I got home, after seeing the movie the first time with my wife, she said to me, there was no sex in the movie. There was no profanity that I caught in the movie. And it was a fantastic movie. And, and that was huge. And the reference she made was how in Iron Man 3, Tony Stark calls the little kid a pussy, which, which we had our kids next to. It was like, we don't use that language. What, what are you doing? Anyway, how did you, let's talk about the portrayal of women in the movie. Um, and there's a lot to cover there. So Inga, why don't you Start us off. What did you What did you see and appreciate? Yeah, and what in, did you notice? In the, yeah, in, in the spirit in the spirit of, of Wakanda, Inga, please lead us off. <laughs> um, you know, it was. I don't come from a background of being a comic book enthusiast, but as I saw Black Panther approaching, I did my research. I went back to see when the character was introduced in the Marvel universe. As a bison, I did my research. Um, I watched Captain America Civil War. I couldn't really get into it, uh, but I was excited to see Black Panther in it, but it, the storyline was difficult for me to follow. And that may be novice on my part, but when I saw Black Panther, I immediately, as soon as the film began, as soon as the story began, as soon as it took us into Oakland, I was immediately blown away. I, was, I didn't have the expectation that it would take me into present day. Um, but as far as the depiction of women, I did not, and I was sharing this with Ferg last night after he saw the film, sometimes you don't realize what you haven't seen or the impact that it will have on you until you witness it. Mm. And for me as a black woman, I did not realize that it would be so impactful upon me to see myself portrayed in a non-colonized space, mm. not as a slave mistress, not as a tragic mulatto, not as a, not as an fighting the American fight toward the North Star, 
all of those are parts of my DNA and parts of our story, but to see myself portrayed as an equal amongst my brothers, equally vested in the fight, equally respected, protected, and as a defender, a chosen defender, it was liberating for me. It, it was validating in the sense of a lot of people have a misconception of feminism as something that annihilates masculinity or mm. eradicates a male presence when it is simply a petition or ask or struggle for equality and a balance of the use of power and an appreciation of both. And so that's what it was for me. It was the validation of that to show that we need each other. It works with both of us using our superpowers in the same space. Huge. Humbly. And that was a first for me in anything that I've ever seen. Yeah. I didn't know whether to cry or run laps around the theater with my bamboo spear. I, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I'm, you know what's funny that you say that? The first time I saw the, the movie, there was a couple moments where I was genuinely choked up. And that was new for me in Marvel. And I walked out of the theater. We'll get into those moments later. I walked out of the theater and I said to myself internally, I need to check myself. I need to check what, what, am, what do I need? Because apparently I've got, a, uh, I've got either a soft spot or I've, that I'm aware of, or I'm blind to something that I'm emotionally keying in on here that, um, you know, that, that parts of that movie touched on and that I'm unaware of. Like, it's so foreign for me to come out of, let's say, a Captain America movie and feel like any reason I'm choked up at all. I was choked up at parts of this movie, and not for negative reasons, but for, like, the, uh, the affirmation of it. I was telling Ferguson earlier, the scene where they, the, the first waterfall scene, challenge scene, uh, when the brothers came through the tunnel, you know, the, the, the guerrilla clan came through the tunnel, the Mbaku's people. And then they had that fight and uh, Chala was losing. And his mother, he's, he's like out of it. His back is being cracked, he's bending over backwards, face bloody. And his mother yells, show him who you are. That, I'm telling you, I wasn't expecting an emotional mm -hmm. response, but it got me. And, and it just, to me, illustrates maybe a lack or a need that, I, that I'm not fulfilling in terms of that emotional Emotional connection, emotional need. I'm not sure. Emotional portrayal. Somebody's going to help me on this call. Y'all going to help me out. I don't know what it is. So, yeah, it, I, I like feel you. Channel, it, it was it was that dig deep moment of it. It just reaffirmed, or perhaps makes us hyper aware of the presence of the ancestors in every moment. And right. and we all have that dig deep moment when something happens and you just push through, but put to actually hear the call of what it takes to overcome. I think that was, that, that was the resonating factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, did anybody else have any moments that were, you know, before... Yeah. I mean, where to even start? Um, I think to piggyback off of uh, what Inga said and what you said, B, um, we, especially in the media, um, we as black folks, I mean, we're we're damn near marginalized every every single second, almost, you know. And uh, conversely, our uh, colonizer counterparts are told are told and shown how great they are, you know. Twenty five eight, not even twenty four seven. Twenty five eight, 
you know. Um, and here in Black Panther, um, we saw images, we weren't marginalized, we were not props, we were complex. Um, yes, that I mean, even even the villain, you know, which I imagine, you know, that'll be a topic we get into. Even the villain, you know, dare I say, a lot of us uh, not only could empathize, but could understand, you know, that conflict within him, you know, and uh, what his motivations were, you know, like he was like, these were, these came off like real people, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And like, B, like you said, like, I didn't leave Captain America, you know, feeling uh, emotional. You know, I was just like, wow, that was a fantastic movie, you know, from a comic book sense. Um, I will admit, when I saw Avengers, I probably did have a tear in my eye because, you know, as a kid who grew up uh, reading comic books, like, that was just a dream, seeing the Avengers, you know, come through like that. But this... There were several moments where I um, felt a certain kind of way, um, you know, especially that first shot when they got to Wakanda. I know um, I had to fight back some tears there um, when they were heading to the uh, first trial when they were on the boats and the way Lupita was dancing and uh, Dora Milaje when they tapped the spears yeah. and... You know, just there was just small things like that. I mean, I I shouldn't even call them small things. There were things like that, you know, just all throughout that just resonated, you know. Um, And women, listen, lesson here, you know, you didn't get it now. Just follow the women, you know, (laughs) follow the women. That's that's uh, that's certainly a lesson I think a lot of people could take, you know, from this. Right. Right. Um, I want to talk about the archetypes of beauty that were addressed in the, in the movie. There were, uh, there were some key moments. First of all, I, you know, aside from what we know and we saw on the screen, there's also the stuff that we see in the interviews to date, things we've heard, things we've talked about, things we've read leading up to the movie that were key. And one of the things that we read was that there was going to be no processed hair, no perm, no chemically processed hair in the movie, you know, uh, which was huge to me. Um, I think there was definitely a statement made about beauty in the movie. And there were multiple perspectives on beauty. Um, Number one, we all went to historically black colleges. And I know when I landed on the yard, my mind was blown. And it was because coming from a a background where we were uh, marginalized and, you know, I was the, I was Franklin, you know, I was the black friend in the Charlie Brown Mm. thing in my, in my schooling from K through 12 to go to a place where um, there is every variety in the spectrum of person from all over the world in the diaspora there represented and we practiced differently and it was incredible. And I thought that they really did a great job of presenting beauty um, of black women in this movie. And I, I don't want to step on anybody, any parts of the movie. I want you guys to, to uh, don't let me ramble cause I'll talk all day, but I, w- I really want you all to, to kick in. And also uh, Ali Muhammad, are you with us? I'm here. Hey, so we have uh, my good friend Ali Muhammad, and uh, Ali went to FAMU, has spent a lot of time on Howard's campus as well in a professional capacity, and also took his three kids and wife to see the movie this weekend. So welcome to the show, Ali. Uh, thank you very much. appreciate you having me, man. Yeah. So listen, why don't you go ahead and step on that uh, on Archetypes of Beauty? What did you notice in terms of what was being said in the movie regarding uh, black women well, and, and beauty? I mean, one, one thing you noticed that it was definitely all of it the traditional natural hairstyles. Uh, but you also had, um, 
I guess the dark, the lightest woman in there was probably Angela Bassett, as far as on the um, the Wakandan side of things. Um, so you you definitely kept it, you know, what I would call, you know, they they tried to have it as one hundred percent as possible as far as blackness. Um, so from that, I mean, just even the way that they dressed, also, you know, it wasn't just the hairstyles and the looks, but the way that they dressed was also impressive as far as how they took the costumes and made them so that they were beautiful and they were, they were feminine, but yet they weren't overly sexy. Like you would see in some superhero movies, you know what I mean? So, you know, I I noticed that as well. I was, I was really impressed with that. I was really impressed with it. It was, things were not over sexed. Um, and there was a there was there was an African approach to feminism, and the the director did a good job in, in creating the, the the dichotomy of showing you that just because these women women don't ascribe to what you think beauty is in the United States or what how beauty is pushed on you with the high heel shoes and the and the weave and the wig, et cetera. That doesn't mean they're not beautiful. In, in Wakanda, they're wearing flats and sandals. Uh, in Wakanda, they're, they're, they don't, they don't, they're wearing their hair or they're bald. They don't, they're not wearing wigs and weaves, et cetera. Um, they're not, it's not overdone in terms of showing too much. They show skin, but it, it's not to the point where it becomes, it didn't even have a hint of being raunchy, right. which was, which was classic and, and just absolutely I don't even have a word for it. It was just, as my friend Ingo was there, just Wakandian. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was, <laughs> it was it nothing was, we'd ever seen before. No, we, had, we, have, we have not seen ourselves in a movie where we were not reduced. And even in the, um, in the black films in the, in the 70s, Ingo had to remind me, those films still occurred under a umbrella or even an opaque shroud of white supremacy. And 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 a lot of them was written by white men. So white men. <laughs> right. And, 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 and directed film, by, you know. <laughs> Did we hear this women film, called out of their name at all in no. this no. movie? Didn't no. hear the B word once. All we, we heard we heard general and queen. General. <laughs> queen. I think yep. it's, and my I, love. I think Thanks, it's right. my love. I think, brothers, it's also important as we dissect and there's so many layers to peel back, we have to be gentle with ourselves because we're peeling the layers back from a colonized upbringing. For example, in African cultures, various African cultures, um, women are topless, but not objectified. Right, right, right. So the view that you present or that we present in terms of raunchy, in terms of oversexed and in terms of those things, those are those are also views that come from our upbringing and from patriarchy and things of that nature. But in our original cultures, women were topless, but not objectified and still queen and still my love and right. still general. So the- you, you understand what I'm saying? So I think that I, I think that we have to dissect it and and really be aware of the fact and ask the question why you know why is that that a woman can be topless 
not that they were in the movie, but I'm just talking about in traditional African cultures and not objectified, but in this country, in this society, through these media outlets and through this conditioning, we considered that to be uh, partnered with being less than regal. Right. I think we, we, yeah, moved, right. we moved it out of a space of love and into a space of power over the other person, which is 100% incorrect. One of, the, one of the things that, that stood out to me, to, to your point, uh, Ingus, and, and y'all spoke to this, is the fact that they're, you know, in general, right, those of us who are into comics and, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff, I'm a nerd, I ain't even gonna front. That's you know, right. so I'm into all that kind of stuff. One of the things that has never made sense is armor and women and how they're clad, you know, for war and battle. And I remember there was one point in the movie when... Um, uh, Nakia, uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character, and they, and they um, uh, Okoye hands her, or it was a Shuri who handed her the armor of the Dora Milaje, like, you know, here, and looking at it when she handed, handed it to her, it looked like armor that you would wear, but armor that you would wear not in a medieval, not in a, you know, in, in medieval Europe, but that you would wear you know, in a hot-ass Central African country. Right. So it covered important parts. It was heavy enough, uh, you know, like uh, you were saying, I think, uh, you know, Roddy, in, in terms of, like, showing skin, it was it was loose and, and, and comfortable for someone who's going to engage in battle and made sense for, you know, made sense for a woman to wear. And I thought, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, was extremely important. And, and in general, to your... Your previous points, one of the things I use in my classes, um, it's always with over 30 years old now, the Bechtel test. Um, Alison Bechtel came up with it, uh, you, you know, a, a feminist writer and, and uh, comment, uh, commentator. And, and uh, the, the, the Bechtel test for any movie has, has three parts. First, um, the movie has to have at least two women in it. Second, uh, the two women in the movie have to actually speak to each other. Uh, and that conversation that they have has to be about something other than a dude in the movie. Mm. And it's surprising the number of movies and disappointing number of movies that don't pass that Bechtel test. And it's not that it's foolproof, but in this case, you know, in terms of not only how the men spoke to the women and the women spoke to the men and interacted with each other, you know, like you're talking about calling out, a, you know, somebody out of each other's name, but you know, the, the women were not only empowered, but were powerful characters on their own, absent of the men in the movie, you know, without, you know, the, the power relationships and dynamics, uh, you know, were, were you know, put in a lot of cases on their head. Yep. Uh, we're going to we're going to move in a second. Ali, I know you wanted to say something on this. On what? Now, nah, I, I let it flow. What I had to say was part of the last part of the conversation. OK, cool. Uh, moving kind of forward from there is also the uh, relationship dynamics that we saw. And in particular, the scene that jumps out at me uh, is the scene where um, I forget the character's name. Who's the guy on top of the rhino? Oh, uh, well, uh, um, what's the oh, yeah. with the W? Yeah. Yeah, the guy well, on the top well, of the rhino. Yeah, Wabaki well, or something like that. Is charging. And, yeah. and, uh, is about to take out M'Baku, and Denai's character steps in front. Oh, yeah! Yeah! Incredible. Yeah! Incredible. So, so we talking about that, Coach B, and Inga and I talked about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, this, this, this man 
mean, the Black Panther asked this man earlier, hey, man, please don't do this. Don't go to war. And he, he declined. I mean, my man, he, my man, not only declined, but upped the ante of his declination <laughs> by calling in the rhinos. <laughs> rhinos come in charging. Now, it is only through the request of the woman that he chooses to lay his armor down and stop fighting. Right. And that was so powerful. I mean, well, it was powerful, powerful, powerful. It was. It had a lot more to do than she was just a woman. She was the, the general. She the led general. The, she led the army, and that rhino took the order. Took the <laughs> order, and, and, he had, and he had to realize... You can't beat her. There's a there's a lot of themes in that particular moment. Yeah, I think he was uh he was an interesting character. I mean they were all Wakabi. interesting characters. Um Wakabi, yeah. Um because when after T'Challa became king, and um one of the last things his father said was find people you can trust. So then they had the scene with T'Challa and Naki. And then they switched to Wakabi and T'Challa. And he was he was telling him, uh, T'Challa was telling him that Naki wants Wakanda to do more. You know, we can help people out. So what Wakabi said to him was, you know, if we let refugees in here, they will bring their problems. He was like, now, if you want my men to go to war, we will go to war, which I thought was interesting because you could see where his character was starting to lean um, towards breaking tradition, because that's definitely a theme that I saw, tradition versus, you know, uh, new traditions or not honoring tradition. Like, right. that was something that was going on throughout. And so his character was interesting that he was like, you know, we shouldn't have refugees come in, but if you want to go to war, um, my men will do it. And then by the time Killmonger rose to the throne, you know, him and the general there, Okoye, disagreed. Okoye is like, you know, Wakanda's never waged war with other countries. And he and then he turns around. He's like, well, you know, that was the old way. You know, the world is changing. We, we're either going to be the conquerors or the conquerees. Right, right. And I think, I think the different characters had their own view, their worldview of how they wanted the country to go. And, of course, Killmonger had one way that he mm -hmm. had. And I think there was a lot of restlessness within that community, even with the Jabari tribe, with his own guy, his own general who, who ran the fields, like my man from Get Out, like you were just talking about. They all had different ideas about what Wakanda should be doing. And in the end, we saw that he kind of came to some type of compromise to yeah. where he knew shit had to change. My bad. He knew things had to change. And he changed him in his way. And another th another thing, right before I, um, I stopped, well, his father also told him that it was going to be hard for uh, a guy with heart to lead. You know what I mean? Right. And, very and important. That, and we found that out very quickly. Right. Yeah. Because when M'Baku and the Jabari tribe came to the challenge, he specifically called out Shuri and her technology, you know, and what she was doing with it. That seemed to be there. Um, point of contention with, uh, you know, the royal family. Right. Well, I tell you what, um, because we got Inga on the line. Inga, what was your take on that on that whole Rhino situation, and the and the overarching themes that came on that situation when uh, Okoye Okoye had that moment? 
in the movie? <clears throat> I think each of the moments can be looked at from different perspectives. On one hand, she was the general. So in the, um, I guess the hierarchy of, but the rhino was familiar with her, affectionate toward her, stopped and kissed her face. Right. Kissed her face, which means what the rhino is known to do, the rhino yielded to her energy. And so as a woman, it spoke to the, just the power of divine feminine energy. And I think, what was the line? You would kill me, my love? Or what, you would betray me, my love? Was that the line? And then- Yeah, you, you killed me. For Wakanda. Yeah. Yeah. Without question. Without question. Without question. Yeah. So her character, <laughs> he was so complex because if you remember the moment when um, Nakia went to Queen Mother after they thought T'Challa was dead, but the general stayed because she was loyal to the throne. And that was her decision. I'm loyal to the throne regardless of who sits upon it. So there were all these layers of duty, loyalty, um, as the general, what you do. Um, but in that rhino moment, when the rhino stopped in his tracks and kissed her face, and the male character looked around after she said, for Wakanda, absolutely. I noticed he looked around before he kneeled. And then he kneeled. And it yeah. was more so, in my, my perception, more so than just two loves in a moment. It was, am I willing to sacrifice all of this in this moment? Or do I protect it and yield to what's the greater good for the kingdom? The other moment for me, uh, to your question, Ferg, was when T'Challa was, you know, all the tribes were saying, we will not, uh, what, what was the terminology? We will not send a, we will not defend or we won't have We're not challenge. We, we won't challenge. challenge. We will not challenge. We will not challenge. So you have all of these different tribes within the nation. Of course you have people within each one of those tribes that wanted to be king. But each one of the tribes said, we will not challenge because it was the greater good for the nation. And then you had the one come. So that was very powerful for me that you put what is best for the nation above what perhaps the desire for your tribe is. And that rhino moment spoke to that for me as well. But it was, it was completely powerful. It was comedic for some people because they laughed in the theater. But for me, it was like, wow, you know, at what point do you choose something bigger than yourself over making a self-centered decision? Yep. And it seemed both of those characters made that decision independently in that moment, which was yes. great. Ba yeah, based upon duty. Yes. Yes. Based upon duty. And, and what Inga spoke to is, and, and, and my mom always talks about it, but it's the, it's the, it's the greater good. There's, there's a lot of goods available in terms of how you can behave and how you can govern yourself. But it's choosing the greater good in that moment. That was fantastic. It yeah. really was. It was. So now we, we, we move on to um, another topic um, from some of the many themes that were going on uh, in the movie, and that is one of autocracy. So, Coach B, can you touch on that and, and bring us on in? 
Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I wanted to uh, touch on, and I don't have the may not phrase it the best, but um, there's there's two kind of notes that I wrote down, and that was uh, one of the key themes was about the the responsibility that in the movie that the uh, the king of Wakanda felt for participating in the lives and the struggle of those who are of potential African descent, or maybe in, in the, in the, for the sake of Marvel, uh, participating in the world, bringing their good to the world. Um, one of the questions that we had was, can you have autocracy and socialism at the same time? Can they coexist? Can they be in the same place? Um, and I just wanted to kind of hear your, your thoughts on the idea that was posed in the movie that, that uh, the main one of the main running themes was, hey, look, we've abandoned our brothers. Do we have a responsibility to to help them out? And it was kind of the argument that those two main battling characters were having uh, that we came to some middle ground. But I really like to hear some real world thoughts on. I mean, you can start in the movie, but let's let's kind of pursue the real world discussion there as well. Ali, what are your thoughts? Huh. You would pick me. Hey man, I, I had to, I had to go look up some definitions first. <laughs> Get myself hey, hey, caught hey, up. Hey, Inga, we, yeah, we we understand. <laughs> no, I think. I think <laughs> oh wow! Let them be. I th- I th- All right, don't worry, Maurice. What do you got? Ah oh, shit. <laughs> no, no, no. Ali, you, you, you are. Go ahead, go ahead, please. All right, Ali, I'm sorry. Listen, listen. I'm not. I'm not afraid of the conversation. I was trying to. I was trying to get you off the hook. <laughs> no, I'm not. Order, order, order. I, I, you know, but here's the thing. I think in in this particular piece, with which in the move start in the movie, you know, it's coming from a from a era of that's very traditional, but also super advanced as far as technology. Right. So, and at some point, you know, you don't really know whether you're in the past or in the future based on this country's um, technology. And it's from a, a real world standpoint of view. I mean, before there was, you know, almost like a one world type of view, a, a global view, you did what needed to happen for the community of where you were at. You know, mm-hmm. then then as you get bigger, you know, you have you you have to break it up and make things govern a little differently. So I think in the real world, in in smaller scenarios, you already have like uh, autocrat running things as well as putting things in place for the community. I, I would say um, I know Cuba is actually you know more socialist uh, than you know just a pure. Uh, just one leader, but I think it operates pretty much the same. You have one guy that's running shit, and you're spreading it out amongst your people there. Um, I have a lot of um, I spend a lot of time in Bermuda, right? Yeah. And uh, they're not a socialist country. It almost operates as one because they don't grow anything on the island. They have to bring every they have to bring everything in. Oh, so. Speaking with one of the politicians there, he was saying that, you know, we could have went to the U.S. and put our hand out, but, you know, that wouldn't have been good for 
the community. So they, they built two industries, and banking. And from the money they make on that, a couple billion dollars or something like that, it's pretty much, pretty much split amongst the 63,000 people who live on the island. So you have your uh, average, uh, average um, salary a year at about $80,000. You're talking to a cab driver who, you know, who has a Rolex and a couple houses in America. You, you met a pizza guy who, you know, I'm making $16 an hour. I'm straight, you know. So in in some ways, it operates almost as a socialist thing where the wealth is evenly divided. But then at the same time, it's not. So I'm not sure if it, it works as a, you know what I'm saying, as what you described, but it's it kind of fits in both. It's like a blur of both situations. Well, let me ask you I this. T- let me let, go, let me just clarify on this for one second. In, in, in my mind, the Wakanda that we see on the screen is an idea. That, it's, that, a uto- it's a that utopian lives. socialism. Right. It's, it's something that lives inside of us. It's it's an idea that the thing I felt so connected to you guys uh, in the theater, knowing that we were all maybe not the same particular hour, but we were all experiencing the same thing, the same feeling. And that idea is as close to Wakanda, I think, as anything's ever going to be. And so my question is, if we're those citizens of this idea, do we have the obligation or responsibility? And are we living up to it if we do have it, that we are and should be reaching back and and bringing up those who are less fortunate maybe or who I don't know what the word is. I, I, I think that was I think that was part of Killmonger's I think that was part of his whole push. Uh I don't know if he did or did not go about it the right way or the wrong way. Um I I know this. Um God rest her soul, Dr. Mary Hoover from Howard University, she was a reading professor at Howard. But we spent more time talking about the Black Panther movement and talking about utopian socialism uh, and communism versus capitalism in class than anything else. And I really appreciated getting it from a just from a, a black thought perspective. Because most people who go to you know different schools, they don't understand that black thought and the psychology of black thought. It's very different than the the psychology of white thought that they are fed and given, you know, throughout history and in the textbooks, et cetera. And we have more of a at our base a more of a communal mindset of helping out our neighbors and other individuals and other people. And the autocratic society, which was which Wakanda was based upon, and they hinted at it in the movie. It still requires you to like the person who was in charge. There's a level of respect, okay, through the ranks and files, but the person who was, who was in charge has to be a good-hearted person and a quality leader. The dad even talked about in order to keep, in order to keep that, to, to keep that, that, I don't even say, want to say, that mask of being good Sometimes you, you have to lie, and, and I, like I told Coach B earlier today, sometimes the truth in some certain situations is overrated. When he asked me, why did, you leave, why did he leave that kid behind? I agree with him leaving that kid behind. That's another discussion. But he needed to look a certain way 
in front of his people to keep Wakanda the way that it was at that particular time. And as long as those people like him, they will allow him to lead, which allows the autocracy to work. But for the whole community to work, man, you it that Wakanda requires a utopian socialist environment, meaning everybody shares. You, one thing that nobody really realizes, you did not see an exchange of currency not one time. They still have a marketplace where they are sharing goods and bartering and feeding the animals, et cetera. But there, there's no capitalistic structure in Wakanda. Hmm. That, that's my comment on the situation. Interesting. Anybody else have anything on this? Well, and let me, let, me, let me say this. And maybe that's why the relationships work good there. <laughs> We're going to have to figure out how to the, bring that out. <laughs> Go ahead, Mo. I, I think one of the things, that, you know, in that vein about Wakanda, it's important to put in perspective. And, and I think um, I, I think a lot of us, you know, know it, but I don't know if it's assumed, but, you know, we know the history of, of Black Panther and Wakanda, one that, of course, the, the comic book and, and the country predate even the Black Panther Party. Uh, itself, the revolutionary group, uh, and and so to picture this uh, <laughs> socialist autocracy, right? That you know this place, uh, you know that's the most technologically advanced place on the planet. It's one thing to say that yes, here's this uh, black semi utopia, uh, but at the same time to remember that you know it was created in 1966 by. Uh, you know, Stan Lee and, and a couple of cast at, at Marvel who were also making a commentary on colonialism and settler colonialism and what might what might countries on the African continent look like if had, they, as they, they call them colonized. in the right if, if the, as they call them in the movie if the conquerors had never come you know if, what if, you know consider the brain drain the the exactly the the resource drain and everything of the, you know, the destruction of the humanity, right? You know, and the and infrastructure, you know. So, I mean, shout out to Marvel for addressing that, you know, 60 years ago in yeah. comic books, you know, in a in a very important uh social commentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, I mean, basically, I mean, the, the harsh question, even though we don't want to ask it harshly, but it basically Marvel's asking. If the white man never showed up, what would civilization look like? Say that. Because that's the research question. If it was, if it was the question, because Wakanda is basically a hypothesis of what it would look like if the white man never showed up. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've got a. I agree. I've got an outstanding. <laughs> All people can say is yep. Nothing else to say about that. <laughs> I think well, it, you know it's interesting. Just small point that um, and this is something I didn't uh, know. You know, as a Black Panther fan, um, as long as I've been, um, I, I always had thought that he came after the Black Panther Party, but it was like a couple of years ago that I found out that uh, his creation actually preceded the Black Panther Party. Um, right. Which you know it could mean nothing or you know something you know I hadn't 
you know, when I originally had uh, turned on the Black Panther, I had already known about the Black Panther Party, even as a child, um, I knew about them. I mean, you know, born in uh, 1973. I mean, I'm basically a child of that movement, you know, the post-civil rights movement. So I was, you know, but the character always resonated with me, even with him not being, you know, an American superhero, but like um, has been stated, uh, Wakanda was just the idea of what Africa could have looked like minus colonialism. Yep. Yep. My my and that was, or maybe was within the, the Black Panther Party, like Marvel. Say that again. I'm sorry. <laughs> that maybe somebody in the Black Panther Party was in the comics. Hmm. Well, you know, they were making. Yeah. They were making commentary too, you know. Stan Lee has said in, in you know many times the relationship between Professor X and Magneto right. was based one hundred percent off of the relationship between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, right. and you know it was his commentary on you know the the oversimplification of so-called violence versus non-violence. It's like okay, because that's to me that's represented in Killmonger and and T'Challa's relationship, you know, like. It's not as simple as violence versus nonviolence. It's two different conceptions of revolution and how you want to go about it and how those things, you know, coexist and where they can and can't coexist, you know. So Marvel was doing that with the X-Men <clears throat> in the 1960s as well. So, you know, Marvel is, you know, as a universe, right, as a comic universe, has been way ahead of its time, uh, you know, in terms of addressing those types of issues. So this manifestation in 2018, it just makes sense. You know? Yeah. And credit and credit to Kugler and his team for putting the public enemy poster in, uh, in Killmonger's apartment and the, and the Huey poster yep. as well that I didn't even notice the Huey poster until the second time I saw it. I was like, wow. Okay. That was there. They're definitely planting the seeds and let, letting you know that we, oh, we, wow. we, we understand. I didn't see the Huey poster, but it was on my third viewing that I realized the TV in the apartment was focused on uh rioting in the riots. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's just awesome that that you get a guy who's he's 31 years old who who made uh number one, number one, let's start with this. I have a phrase that I use all the time. We have a amongst my closest friends, very close friends, I've got a, a very a small chat group, and I'll use the phrase Wu Tang all the time and what because of what it means to me and it just means to click up it means you guys are awesome and we're not wu-tanging enough we're not putting it together enough so it's just awesome that you got kugler and um and jordan you know who have done it three times successfully and seemingly you know to to say something sounds totally cliche kept it 100 you know that it seems like they're doing what they want to do putting their voice into it so that part is awesome um and i love the fact they took it back to oakland you know, and told a story, told a story there. Um, what the question I wanted to pose to you guys is what, what after the quote unquote after Wakanda question, what happens next? How are we changed as a result? How are we charged? What are we charged to do? What, what, what's the next step after $218 million that clearly goes to Disney and the demonstration of our power as consumers? What do we do next? Inga, I'm going to start with you. Okay. I think that, um, so a phrase I use a lot in, in business and in services, zoom out, right? So if I zoom out 
on the experience. And I look at where I stand. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I think that it's, again, multi-layered. I think that there's a charge on multiple levels. One is we are naturally a tribal people. So we've created baby Wakandas through our HBCU experiences, through mm -hmm. our organizations. We've created our villages. We're born into one as family, and then we choose our others, right? So you can see that in this society. Uh, a lot of us belong to service organizations, you know, Howard alumni, FAMU alumni, we, we click up, we, we woo, we, we do what we do. But there are these other people within our community who never have that opportunity. So we do oftentimes do arms link service, uh, scholarship programs, try to, you know, but there are all of these people that we've left behind on a daily basis. And so I think the message here is with a lack of acknowledgement and bequeathing of opportunity, those people will rise, even against us. And so I think that the challenge and charge is how do we, again, under the shroud of white supremacy and patriarchy, how do we, and integration, okay, which, mm -hmm. which has separated us from communal self-sufficiency, how do we decolonize our thoughts, platforms, and efforts to be more comprehensive, cohesive, and inclusive of the greater good of the nation versus just our individual tribes? Ingram, I, I, I need you to I need you to just oh, just peel just peel that thing back one moment about integration because a lot of people a lot of people listening who don't come from some of the backgrounds that we come from uh, on this particular podcast won't understand what you mean. But you're speaking about integration as if it is a hurdle or something that we have to get over or deal with, and they don't understand what you mean by that. And I, and I don't want them to think that you're categorizing it as a full-on negative, but kind of expand on what you're talking about in terms of the hurdle that it creates for some of our people, please. Sure. And my parents, like many of yours, activists, um, integration created an environment of aspiring assimilation. We want to sit at the table as your equal, and we stop building the tables on our own, right. which we had in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which we had Mercy. in Durham, North Carolina, which uh -huh. we had in Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. uh, in Black Wall Streets, documented across the country. Um, and even, yeah. even the world of Wakanda I was reading was, is, is highly based upon the society of uh, Mutapo, Mutapo, an African society that existed in this way with technological advances. So. It's quite the conundrum, but what I mean about integration is that when you aspire to assimilate, when I'm valued by Oscars, when I'm valued by mm. 
magazine covers, when I'm backed by what I am told is sufficient, then I internalize that I am not enough. But when I build on my own uh, Atlanta Life Insurance Agency, when I build on my own Mechanics and Farmers Bank, when I build on my own Citizens Trust Bank, when we had airplanes and transportation systems in Tulsa, Oklahoma until 1921, when it was destroyed by our own country, then we had a sense of self-sufficiency as a community that allowed for us to be self-sustainable and our dollar did not leave the community as quickly as it does now. The, but I have to intersect into that as well, even in our Black Wall Streets, even in our um, thriving communities of Blackness, as a woman, I must say that even within those successes, I was left behind in leadership. I was left behind in contribution. So you have these successes and gains when we were segregated, because we said separate but equal. The issue was that it was separate but unequal. And but for the drafting of Brown versus the Board of Education on the wooden desk that sits in Howard Law, where Thurgood Marshall drafted along with other students, the act that changed all of that, we were self-sufficient. We were enough. The issue was that the resources were unequal. So now we're back to the issue of resources. So that that's what I mean by that. So as many people and the society as a whole teaches us that integration was a great step forward in race relations, um, at, the, at the expense of what? At the expense of self-sufficiency, at the expense of people passing by black banks every day in their city to go to Wells Fargo or to go to Bank of America, um, at the expense of not patronizing our black attorneys and black doctors, which which we are producing in mass numbers. So that's what I mean. Like we take two steps forward to assimilate or for what we view as equality, but those views themselves come from white supremacy and not feeling like enough. Right. This and, statement says that we are enough. Right. And but and that that same thing what you speak on with integration. The the big thing with this film is that this film is a representative of that. This is a, a hundred million dollar film that is beautifully shot. That is that is it's a blockbuster movie. Now, how is it going to feel when that next $900,000 movie comes out and it's not as big and it doesn't feel as big and in the market and it's not as shiny and the actors are just uh, newcomers that you don't know? You know what I'm saying? And that's one of the things that, that kind of, it happens all the time in, in different areas of, of business and culture. It's like, say, integration, when you're able to go to the white neighborhood now and, and the grocery store is different and the restaurants are different and you have a deli and a meat man and it's all a, that. There's a Whole Foods stuff. on my corner. Right. There's a Whole Foods. It looks nice. Hmm. It makes it a little harder to go back to the neighborhood grocery store and feel like it's enough, you know? So it's one of those things where it has, I think what happens in this scenario is that the ideas are flowing. You know what I mean? We're here talking about it. There's people all over talking about it. The the creators will create based on a new a new idea in their mind that wasn't there last week. 
the 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 kids coming up are seeing things differently. They're seeing different images that they're gonna bring along their journey, and it's not as important to look like the white kid in class anymore, you know, because he's the one that's most popular because the school is white and the teachers are more, um, they, they, they cater to those kids a little more. My, I have a son that's 13 that doesn't feel like he has to even, you know what I'm saying? He don't, he's no way, shape or form feel like he needs to look like them. He runs his own program and he's probably like one of three. So, but it's, it was Obama that gave you a C it's Black Panther. It's, you know, in, in, in certain circles, is insecure. It's just seeing your image in different places. In business, you're seeing the, the super soaker guy getting his props. You right. know, it's representation, like you said. And, and, and so you don't necessarily, it doesn't have to be the way that they do it. It doesn't have to be a blockbuster because you respect the fact that it's your story. And I think that is changing from before. To your point, Ali, I when we lived in New Jersey, mm-hmm. we lived in a community that had a huge influx of um, Southern Asian families. And to the point where the AMC theater that we went to regularly had uh, like Bollywood movie openings at the place. And it went from one to two at a time to like there's a whole section of the theater that's really, and this is a mainstream AMC. It's not like, you know, it, it it is the the multicultural theater. This is this is this is the AMC that we've all been to, uh, but now they because they're serving the community who has a local demand for uh, movies from their culture. Um, I I often see on my social media feed the African uh, movie scenes from like Nigerian movies and stuff, and they, the 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 posts come across and it's, they're joking about it, saying, "Look how low budget." this uh special effects of this are and i'm i see it completely opposite i'm like they have their own scene no matter how successful it is right now they have a creator scene and a consumer scene that's theirs and they own it and if nurtured correctly it'll become whatever it needs to be there's a model for it already there's several models for it already so to your point we're not going to end up necessarily always at the 200 million dollar movie we got to support and patronize the the small production Right, that, that's owned and and created with the right voice, and that's that's slowly changing. That's mm-hmm. slowly when we, when when we worked on Twa, it was independent. Sometimes you might see the mic in the top of the screen or whatever. You know, what I mean, it did well, but it was a joke. You know, it was a joke. When you try to when you try to on business side push and get better actors and stuff like that, you got a lot of pushback because it wasn't the budget wasn't there. It didn't look like a major movie production. But over time that has changed, you know, like now with the internet and the, and the content that's coming every single day from big cameras all the way down to cell phones, that has changed. That's when that has gone away. Now what really counts is the story itself. And so I think with a, with a movie like black Panther, while it is big, it does plant the seed that, Yo, you could tell a story that's all black because even when when you have black when you have black producers and filmmakers and storytellers, a lot of times they want to get over the hump, so they tell their black story with white people in mind. Right? You know what I mean? It's like, well, I can't do that because that's gonna be considered, you know, this or that. You know, uh, when you look at when you look at our movies, it's really 
a lot of times the the locations are one of four places, you know, the club, the the church, the restaurant, you know, home, you know. So it's kind of like when they're making these stories, they're like, well, I can't really show this or that because, you know, it's going to be considered hood or ghetto or chitlin' circuit. I think that's changing now. And the more that changes, I think the more we can grow. Right. It truly speaks to the power of art and the power of artistry. Right. If you look back at the Harlem Renaissance or Civil Rights Movement, all of its facets, there was a soundtrack. There was there was a complimentary sonic something to go with it, right? So this pushes the envelope on artistry and also opens doors for our stories to be told by us. Wow. And now is when you rush. And what is going to happen is this will be the time when greater deals are done because black stories now verify, you have to put points on the board, right? So black stories verifiably now make money. So now more black stories will receive opportunities. And I think it's going to be a dual rise between deals that Hollywood does and self-contained companies telling their stories the way that they desire to and a combination of both. Lance, how, how yeah. are we... I want to go to Lance go ahead, real quick. Lance, how no, I was going to say, you know, these kind of things um, for us come around every couple of years, right? Because um, I think back, you know, I was 15 years old, 30 years ago. Um, Public Enemy came out with It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, which rap and hip-hop certainly had things to say prior to that album, but that album kind of put hip-hop at the forefront of being political and uh, having a message, especially about the black and for the black community. And, um, you know, one could argue that when that album came out, pulled chains off and started putting the black medallions on. A little guy, Logan, he's up. He's sitting in my lap here. Sorry, y'all. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, after that album, brothers took the gold chains off and put the black medallions on, right? Um, you know, even like a different world and school days, you know, a lot of people got exposed to HBCUs, you know, through those, you know, through that TV show and movies and decided, hey, I'm going to go to HBCU. Um, my um, oldest son and my oldest niece, they happen to be born the same year that Obama first became president. So it's like even for them, they all they knew for their life was having a black president. Um, which that, that's kind of thing, you know, we talked about planting a seed and what that did for them, for them to see that, um, you know, my son Logan now, he's been born, he's a year and a few months, you know, now we're under what we're under now, but we have Black Panther now, this movie, you know, that we're able to, you know, be able to show people, you know, and as been, as we've been saying uh, throughout today, you know, we haven't, we weren't marginalized, we weren't props. Um, and we had, we were able to tell our story, even if it, even if this was a character that, you know, is 50 years old and had been made up by two white guys, but they had a lot of, uh, foresight in, uh, how they were telling the stories and Ryan Coogler was able to put 
a lot of messages in this story that necessarily may not have been tackled in the comic book before, um, but were told in a way that, you know, look, it's sparking this uh, discussion on this podcast here, like how far we're able to go with a Black Panther movie as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, that's really amazing. And, you know, I'd like to, th- I'd like to think that as big as this movie was at $200 million, hopefully in some small way, some of that money, you know, can help fund, you know, a smaller project that, you know, a brother or sister has, you know, that may, may not have gotten done, you know, you know, for whatever reason prior to. So um, those are some of the things I'm hoping for that can come out of this. I'm hoping, fingers crossed. Right. Well, I, I'd like to say this, um, Lance. You you brought up some some good points, and we we would like to um, one moment. Was were you trying to come in and say something, Inga? I'll wait. Go ahead. Bro. No, no, no. You please, because I was getting ready to transition to the next topic. So please. Well, oh, I, I I wanted to insert uh something that I I captured. I wanted to see if you all captured it as well. To your point, mm-hmm. brother, that you just made the way that it the way that that occurs, I think, was provided in the film, um, a young lady was charged of the technological advances. Right. So there's a statement of ageism and generational cross-pollination mm-hmm. in the film. Mm-hmm. That's a statement to the power of our millennial culture and Absolutely. sometimes uh, older generation not taking them seriously. So for the projects they can't get off the ground, I think the message is Sit with the millennials. Sit with the sisters. Maybe it'll get moving. Um, right. And listen. <laughs> maybe it will. Maybe it will get further. That that we cannot arrive in new days with old ways. Hmm. And, and 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 that is something else I took from the film, and something that I use often is that you know we we you can't you can't we can't get to new days with old ways. No, yeah. Can't put that new. Can't put that new wine. Can, in the can we wine. put that on a shirt, please? Underdog. Yeah, <laughs> and give them all away. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> well, I, I, I would like to say this. Um, Lance, you connected some dots that um, Ingo and I were talking about and Coach B and I were talking about too. There, there are some dots that a lot, a lot of us, we probably connect them, but a lot of people don't really want to connect these dots. And these are true connections. They're, they're not necessarily causation, uh, Dr. Mo, but there's some correlation. We're, we are all in, on this phone coming from the HBCU time period of 1990 to 2000. All of us on this phone. Okay, all of us. Let's be clear. Within that place, okay, there is there's a Chadwick Boseman in that place. Okay? There's a, there's a Ta-Nehisi Coates in that place. There's Inga Willis, who, there was Inga Willis who was in class with Chadwick Boseman, okay, at Howard University at acting class. A lot of us got there, or a lot of us were influenced from the, from the school days film, from the, from the, the, uh, um, the, the, the Bill Cosby show, yep. from the, from the, uh, the Bill College, the Bill Cosby College offsuit show, show, what was the name of the show again? A different World. From Different World. We all got there. And when I came up, I couldn't watch television. My parents let me watch an hour television. That was Cosby Show, Different World, and the TV was off. Hmm. That influenced a lot of what we see going on right now today. 
in term in terms of the quote unquote Wakandian movement, if you will. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or or the push or promotion for the for the for the Kamala Harris in the in the marketplace. Come on now, come you, on. You understand absolutely. what I'm saying? And, absolutely. And, 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 and the and the put and the push for not only not only these HBCUs creating and and promoting doctors and PhDs and professionals, but putting in, putting them in places or in spaces for which they can now make change. So when we watch and th- 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 we want to talk about this on the clothes, when we sit down and we watch that movie. The Black Panther. And let me let me even backtrack one moment. Old people parents, put the in front of anything. Yeah, I, listen, I, I don't have no, listen, I don't have no problem with that because if you, <laughs> if you really look, if you really look at what Inga said and we look at the Black Panther, I'm gonna tie it all together for you. It's it's the ability to listen to the old for for advice, okay, but not necessarily do what they say, but couple it with the decisions that you're going to make and not disregard it. So you don't have to necessarily do what the ancestors say, but the key was go to the ancestors. That was one of the keys in the movie. So when we look at our parents came from, let's look at it now very carefully, segregated schools, big where I'm coming from, didn't necessarily have to go to a black college. We go to the black college. We create the changes. We're sitting in the in the Black Panther movie. Now the question was, and Coach B and I talked about this, what did that movie make you feel like as someone that went to an HBCU? Mo, you got skipped on the last topic. Why don't you go first? Um, no, nah, I don't need to go first. I'm good. All right. Mo, Mo, uh, Coach B and I are I'll moderators. We're the moderators of the thing. When we say go first, that kind of means go first, <laughs> motherfucker. Okay. But, but, it, but we're going to say go first, please. <laughs> Okay. And if you, well, if you if you if you really want to say you really we got to edit this part. If you you really wanted to explain it all out, it's because we're talking about the Black Panther and we need Inga to run the anchor leg and she has to go soon. <laughs> so we, we need you to go so we can pass it to Ali and then Lance and we're gonna bring Inga in on the Usain boat. You understand what I'm saying? And then she gonna bring well, that, that thing sense. in. We that should happen. I don't mean I'm not saying I got to be the anchor. Yeah, no, you don't have to be. I'm just we just need uh, you. Co- comprehensive is not a requisite for compliance. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I did what you said. I said uh, four by fourteen. We just we running for the gold. That's we just it. Set the pace and push it through. You go we, right in. Go, go on out the blocks, please. Get out, come on yeah. out the blocks for us, Mo. You know you're short and stubborn. You can run the curve. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> that's what. That's what y'all do. You put me first. <laughs> like, look, we edit all that shit out. Hey, we put cause... you first. So we have it. So we have a chance. <laughs> it's, yeah, there it is. That's what you do. There it is. So what did it make you feel like? Um, Doc, when you when you watch the that movie from a from an HBCU graduate perspective, you brought up a few things. So uh, you know, one, it just reminded me, like when you were talking about a different world. Um, you know, it it was it was something very important because when a different world first came out, and I don't want to go off on my Cosby tangent. Some of y'all heard that before, but. Uh, a different world changed drastically once Debbie Allen, Howard University, HU, you know, uh, got a hold of that show, became his producer, and, uh, you know, really turned it into uh, something that spoke to an HBCU experience. That's right. And Say not, that again. <laughs> and, and not just a palette swap, which I've always 
you know, found problematic about Kaja, and that's a that's a video game term, right? You know, like if you want to have a character, your video game character, if you want it to be white or brown or yellow or red, you know, you just kind of change the color of it. One of my, you know, points uh, about a different world in particular was that it was no different. It was just a white college uh, with kids who just happened to be black. It was accidental blackness. And so that HBCU experience that Debbie Allen brought to it turned it into an actual HBCU experience. I think there's a <clears throat> there's a larger analogy for what has happened between Tanasi Coates and, and Chadwick Bozeman and what Marvel is doing. Um and and Ryan Coogler, who to the earlier point, he's three for three, man. He's only 31 is tough, but you know. He's got the Scorsese De Niro thing going with with um, with Michael B. Jordan, but it, they bring that and and that and and going back to Oakland and Huey Newton, um, you know the references that they make. It's like they it's like they HBCU'd the Marvel universe, and so you know we got this glimpse, um, you know, in watching the movie. That's really what it you know what it took me back to, um, you know, like you mentioned, you know, all of us are you know from that era at Howard. You know, so it took me back to that time as well. Uh, it, you know, just like saying, okay, but yeah, there's college experience. Yes, there's world experience, but then there's HBCU experience, which is something unique, is something different. Um, you know, and 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 uh, you know, I think that they did that effectively. Uh, and right. I, and I just got to point out the one the one part before I check out before I check out one part the the, the part I love the number I think my favorite part in the movie. Was uh, when Mbaku was, you know, talking when when uh, Agent Ross <laughs> started talking, when you know they were man aping his crew, yeah, and he started talking. And, hoo, 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 hoo. You know, they started making the ape noises. It's like you don't talk here. You can't talk here, buddy. <laughs> so that was it. Was it was my favorite because it was like it was speaking to that larger point that I'm making in terms of like we HBCUing right now. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Marvel. You know we doing this HBCU way right now, so you know stay in your lane, which is about three over to the right. <laughs> we in this HOV lane. We you know we speeding down the highway right now. Um, you know which I think is something you know that that Coogler has done a phenomenal job with you know telling black experiences again to you know to to Ferg's point, you know telling black experiences. Uh, you know, in in ways that are authentic and robust, you know, which is what I got from it. There you go, Ali. What you got? I mean, as far as from an HBCU perspective, of course it felt familiar. You know what I mean? But familiar for a lot of different reasons, not just because what I was seeing as far as the story and and um the pictures, but also the people involved. So, like you said, it's a Wu Tang thing. So you got Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, and you got just this young crop of actors that that are just popping right now. They're not superstars just yet. They're just all right there working together. And a lot of them work together a lot. They hang out together a lot in this this new crop of uh, black actors and storytellers. So from an HBCU perspective, from as far as my experience is, I started my first business as a sophomore at FAM. And I worked with guys that were right next to me. You know what I'm saying? And my whole career has been based on that. I've never really done anything outside of that community as far as starting something is where we started at. 
Um, if I look at the movie, um, even coming to New York in the Bed Stock community, you know, that whole little collective of, of energy was happening at one coffee shop in Bed Stock at Bread Stock. So you would have Chadwick in there, you would have Gregory Porter in there cooking the soup, you know. I was there, Rob Hardy came there and shot uh, a short when he was in film school. So it's like that has never stopped. You know, it always continued. Um, and outside of college, being growing up as a black Muslim, they had those same ideals that we saw on that screen. You know, self-sufficiency. Let's let's build our own. Let's start our own thing. Let's let's have a strip where it's just all of our businesses and and you know you come to the masters you're gonna eat you know so uh let's let's get a farm where we grow our own shit and and everybody come in and, and we can all eat seeing that from that perspective as far as inside of a an american society been trying to do it within and how that works and how that doesn't work and where you can see where t'challa's vision you can see where it could work, but then you can see where it could fuck up as well. So, which was what Killmonger was saying. So, it felt familiar. It felt really familiar on all fronts as far as the people concerned and the story that was told. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Ali, what was your favorite part of the movie? My favorite part of the movie, <laughs> I, I love the fight sequences, of course. I, um, I I love a, a bunch of little parts, not just one that just stood out so much further than the others. It's just I, I like that every sequence they gave you something that you can hold on to. Um, but if I had to pick one, it would be um, <clears throat> don't scare me like that, colonizer. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was very powerful coming. It was very natural. It was something that something that a kid would say it was it was just very it was perfect i think she played that role as a natural it, it felt very natural very kids like a little sister very yeah. familiar very your cousin you know it was it was very familiar yeah inga how did shuri, you shuri was d for, from what's happening like <laughs> yes she was version. definitely <laughs> good, good comparison exactly that was great inga what you got From an HBCU perspective, narrowly, of course, I was. I my second viewing was the Howard Alumni Association of Atlanta. So, of course, we were saluting our Bison brother. Um, but but zooming out on that, because it was bigger than just that, it it affirmed for me what I felt at Howard. I too came through uh, private school in Atlanta. Um, I was the only African-American in my elementary school class. And to get to the Mecca, it, it, Black Panther for me affirmed that feeling at Howard, that we are enough, that we are worthy, that we are brilliant, that we are intellectually capable with proper stimuli, that um, even in our educational spaces, that it's necessary to peel layers back I remember my intro to psychology class with Dr. Harrell at Howard. Um, one of the first books we read was Frantz Fanon, Black Skin, White Masks, The Wretched of the Earth. He said, we will be studying the black mind. We will be studying thought from the black perspective. 
So it, it reaffirmed all of those things for me. Um, the film as a whole reminded me also that we must appreciate the contributions and, and innovation of youth. Uh-huh. In tandem with respect and assembly with the ancestors and that our spiritual core predates what we now know as former religion and that there must be a convening with where we come from, with where we are. The greatest takeaway for me is that as a woman, um, may my empowerment be your honor and may your honor empower me. And may we pour into one another as equals and continue to move the vibe forward as partners. Mm -hmm. And my rise is not your fall. My rise is your pleasure and privilege. And I will protect you as well as my duty, like the general. There you go. Ferg, I know you want to wrap. Let me go before you go. You can close out. The from the HBCU perspective, and I and I say this, I've always I'm kind of balancing on that because as I told you, we're all biased as we all attended HBCUs, and, and I know that people who didn't likely feel the way we did. Uh, but speaking only from my perspective, um especially scenes like the waterfall where the special place was prepared for the special event and everyone was represented there along that waterfall as you looked up and you see all the different colors all celebrating this event in their own way, yet participating home. in the event that felt like home, very much like home. Felt like, as I wrote on uh, online, it felt like the yard on, on in, a, in a late spring, spring day. Um, it also... Into that part, there was a, a a portion of it where kind of everybody was doing this kind of shoulder bunch. They were kind of like hunching their shoulders forward in unison. That just that that piece that even the, from the queen down to whomever's all the way up in the cheap seats at the top, everybody's celebrating the same thing, experiencing that culture. And it reminded me a lot of being on the yard or being in convocation, you know. Um, so again, it felt very much like home. And even when they were asking around to say, you know, each tribe, do you challenge? And no, we don't challenge. We don't challenge. And then uh, for Mbaku's people to come through the way they did, it felt so much like, as we've all seen, you know, how fraternities celebrate themselves and announce themselves. So uh, the whole thing was very familiar, as was said earlier. And my favorite parts of the movie were two very small parts. One was the fight scene with Denia Guerrero in the casino in that red dress. When she, mm -hmm. when she took out them fools, it was incredible. And then she almost like, it looked like she took flight when she jumped down from the balcony in this dress with this wig on. Let me get rid of this. Uh, <laughs> she called it a disgrace. <laughs> I threw it at the dude. It was incredible. And another part was when they were in Korea and uh, Claw was being questioned and uh, the special agent was speaking behind the, the one-way glass and he put his hands on T'Challa. That that <laughs> that all that natural defensive moment, like this is dude crazy. It was was just fantastic and well done and, and so small, but it carried a long way. So Ferg, what was your what was your take? And uh close it out for us. Oh, can I jump in? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, go, yeah, I'm go sorry, ahead, Lance. Man, I thought ahead. we had you. No, no, my fault, my fault. Um 
HBCU. So I had an interesting uh, conversation with uh, Jelani Cobb, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, I I call him Big Brother from uh, when I was at Howard. Um, we were both in uh, Black Mia Force. Um, he described it to me privately. He, he, you know, he had posted like, "Go see Black Panther. It's great." And I hit him on the side. I said, "Is it that good?" And he he said something to me that like totally moved me. He said, "It's a Black Nia Force meeting on film," and I took a pause, and it took me back. You know, I don't know how many from Howard here familiar remember Black Nia Force, but Room One Sixteen in Douglas Hall every Friday night at seven p.m. You know, any given uh, Friday, you could hear Raz, April, Jelani. You know, just so many people had came up through there. And, um, you know, he talked about, you know, this is a superhero movie that deals with Pan-Africanism and all the things we learned about at Howard. They got all those themes into this Marvel movie. And um, I just had to take pause. And, you know, the first time I saw the movie, that um, that all struck me. And I certainly felt like I was transported back to room 116 in Douglas Hall on a Friday night. Um, I have uh, so many favorite scenes. Um, When they went to South Korea and when uh, Okoye, T'Challa, and Naki first got out, the way they were wearing red, black, and green, that just stood out to me. And um, at the end, when uh, T'Challa showed the spaceship, when he went to Oakland and the way that one kid just held back and just, he had a look in his eye, like just wonderment and amazement. And, you know, that kind of broke me down there a little bit. I'll admit, you know, there was just something about seeing how he reacted to that, that moved me in a way that, you know, I was like, man, this was among many, many scenes in this movie, that scene right there. And just wondering what that would do for that young man, even in this fictional story of this world. I mean, that, that, that was just it for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those moments. Well, I tell you, I, I tell you this, man, my favorite moment of the, of the movie, it's very different than everybody here. Probably doesn't have any, it's not, doesn't have the depth of everybody else's. <laughs> I mean, special moment. But my, my moment was when the child was, in his first challenge, and he hit the dude with a reverse triangle, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and he tapped out. I was like, man, that's reverse Senkaku. You know, that's reverse Senkaku. That, like, that's a that's a move that I teach my students. And mm-hmm. um, I'm probably kind of like Dr. Mo on this. When I'm watching movies, especially martial arts movies, I'm also looking at the movie for technical accuracy. Um, I do not like watching films which are not technically accurate, meaning I don't like watching films and there's, you know, unless it's a superpower, but there's some woman that's grabbing some male and body slamming him and throwing him back. That's not, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be physiologically or anatomically accurate. What is accurate is when you see Okoye wielding that bow with skill like that, because when you have a weapon and you're a skilled martial artist, it, the, the size of the person then becomes negligible. Those are the type of things that I really liked. It, it empowered women from an intellectual standpoint. And when it comes to being intellectual, we're talking about being physically intellectual and being cognitively intellectual in t- terms of being sharp 
And from those standpoints, in terms, in terms of the science, the STEM, you know, the those particular areas, it was absolutely fantastic. My favorite scene is a submission. Let's just, just be clear. Um, <laughs> oh, the, the rest of it, I'm going to tell you this, man. There's a lot of points that we looked at in the movie. We looked at we looked at relationships. We looked at Brown versus the Board of Education. We looked at westernized, Eurocentric um, femininity. We looked at um, white supremacy. We looked at male privilege. And I think one of the main things we also looked at we, we, we looked at black wealth. Okay, we looked at black wealth. A lot of films don't want to promote black wealth. But one of the main things that Ms. Willis talked about that we really have to we have to examine ourselves on because we don't want to abandon some of the benefits that we have received through some of the, the newer religious practices that, that we've gotten, like the Christian theoretical framework, et cetera. But there are some things, some things that we need to tap into when it deals with who we are where we've come from, and how we need to spiritually move and vibrate on another level that is more congruent to how we move as a people. And there's a, there's a struggle of spiritual and cognitive dissonance there for some individuals where you, you, know, you learned when you were younger, when you read the Bible, or it, or it was preached to you that the women are the weaker species. And... When, when you left, you, you didn't understand what the people were saying. You thought that men were better than women, or men are stronger than women. Or men, it, it didn't have anything to do with that. It, it, it talked in terms of, of, of covering. It talked in terms of uh, being shivers. It talked in terms of making sure that you open up the door, making sure that you take care of and you honor your woman or your wife or the person that you, you're supposed to take care of. It's not a control mechanism which is the thing that we got on the negative side from the Christian theoretical framework and, and some other religions such as that. Those particular things have kept, up, kept us in bondage. They have created relationship struggles which have made people push back based upon what they've received. And in the Black community, in, in our particular relationship structure, they have created some fighting um, between man and woman and woman and man. And I think Inga said it earlier in the conversation, when we put both of our superpowers together, we're unstoppable. I've been married for 16 years. I don't run my wife and my wife doesn't run me. We, we're hand to hand and we run together. And we dip in that to finish line tape at the same time. And that is how Team Ferguson wins. But I think that a lot of people get this zero-sum game, which is absolutely a, Euro, a Eurocentric mentality. As Black folks, we don't live a zero-sum game. That was, I think that was that was the theme at the end of the movie. That's what Killmonger tried to get to sometimes in the in the wrong form of fashion. That is what some of the, the people who don't have, which we call the lesser thans in society, are screaming about, hey man, you made it, you got it, why don't you help me? And other people are, are questioning, how much should I help? And should I help at the demise of my own people? And the question is, you, if you're helping other people, as, as, as Inga said in religion, if you're helping other people, it's not to your own demise. And I think what we all have to get as black folks is that we work together when we, we work better when we work together. And we are missing that particular point. And I guess the conundrum for all of us is how we do that as a people.
And I believe a great start for that is at an HBCU. And for all those individuals who are listening with the opportunity to go to HBCUs, man, I, I recommend you continue to encourage your children and those around you to go. And those who have not gone, talk to people who have gone. And those who are looking at going in the future, please understand you could not make a better decision for your life. If you enjoy watching the movie and you want to live in Wakanda, we can't provide you Wakanda for the rest of your life. But goodness gracious, we can give it to you from about 46 years. Amen. 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 <laughs> yes. Word, word, word. Amen. One point for the edit later. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, my brothers. I just have to say this. I realized that while <clears throat> Ferg was talking, and I, I appreciate each one of you um, for being vulnerable in the share. Um, and I have to say this honestly. Something that I took away was I want to not overlook the fact that Nakia was separate from the kingdom to fight for her cause because she didn't feel that her cause was included in the kingdom. Ooh, Jesus. Yep. Yep. And so without inclusivity, equanimity, and empowerment, that is what we face today. If you look at many of the activist movements right now, black women, women of color are on the front lines and we will do so and get it done and still defend you, fight for you in those causes. But when you become inclusive in the platform, we fight together, we grow together, we work together. But in the absence of equality, you lose Nikias. Thousands of them, and they will go fight, build, and support their causes where they are welcome mm -hmm. and where they are appreciated. And that creates a greater separation. So I think that one of the biggest calls, callings in this moment is to zoom out and examine in our individual lives and spaces, where are we, where are you uplifting and empowering than the key is in your life. Uh, Ms. Willis. Well said, sister. I, I, well said. I, I got Very a question for, for the edit. We got we to work on it. How? Because understand this. In the fight scene, the fight occurs because Nakia, in all, if, talking from a military standpoint, it, she's insubordinate. So Okoye has to say something. She gets noticed, and then the fight breaks out. Now, Nakia does her own thing, and she has to be supported in doing her own thing. Yeah. How, do we, how do you balance the Okoyes and the Nakias of this society? Or, or, or do you? I think that um, that's a great question, and I think that what we saw is that just as we as a people are not monolithic, neither are your women. So you will have different pieces on the chessboard, different roles within even genders. You know, you have your general, you have your 
And all of those spaces are to be appreciated as necessary. I think one of the, at, at the very end, remember, what was it when, what would they went before the United Nations, was it? Or, or some type of assembly like that? Yeah. And King T'Challa was speaking about what was to come in the new day. And prior to that, he had said to Nakia, stay, please stay. I think I know where you can, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like, I think I know where you how can. She could, right, how she could do, advance her mission, you know, within right. the kingdom, yeah. in other and because, words. Yeah, because part of it is what Inga said is that if you don't have the, the new Black Panther, or you're talking about the millennials or the new leadership, is what allowed Nakia to come back. Because under the old leadership, Nakia, as soon as as soon as he was destined to become king, he went to go get Nakia. Yes. He he went to go get Nakia. Period. When and he she, had to, when, when he had to go in that battle, when he had to go in that battle in the casino, he took Nakia with him. <clears throat> I got you. I'm, I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. Well, <laughs> let me say this: we, we listen. We do have to close, ladies and gentlemen, but. As Coach B and I talked about before, we are doing a, a, a two or three part on this. And we know it took a lot of time, but we think that you all are, are, are basically sentinels, all right, uh, and ambassadors. No, seriously, and ambassadors. I'm telling you, for, for, for all of us, when I mean us, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all of Wakanda, all right? <laughs> so um, we have to, all of Wakanda, I'm talking about, we have to have these conversations again. I think we have two or more of these based upon the on the Black Panther movie, but the other ones are going to be, um, one is going to be on a more socioeconomic level, okay? And the other one is going to, an entrepreneurship, and the other one is going to talk strictly based upon person-to-person relationship, talking about love. And when we talk about love, we're talking about love on a person-to-person, people-to-people relationship type type of deal. Um, based based upon sacrificing yourself and doing what's necessary from the movie, et cetera, of sacrificing piece of, pieces of Wakanda in order to help out everyone else. But we'd love to have you all on again. And I want to say this in, in front of everybody. Inga, this conversation would not have been what it, what it could have been without your perspective, and we appreciate it. 100%. Absolutely. And I appreciate it. And, and, and last, I, listen, I, listen, I, I, I love you. And I love the salt and pepper hair that I was able to see when you were on the, when you were on the screen <laughs> and, that you, and that you brought your son into the mix. And my, man, I, and my man Ali, we need to talk to you again. I wish I had an opportunity to talk to you before because you have a, you have a richness on this discussion. <laughs> no, seriously, he has a richness on this discussion that we were not able to really dig into because it wasn't necessarily the area of focus right. um, for this particular discussion. But you and Inga... Both are in the entertainment industry, and I, I would love to get into the, the the Black Panther side from the behind the scenes side, from the behind the camera side, and not necessarily in front of the camera side. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that sh- showed up, and um, we appreciate you too, uh, Luke Cage, Doctor Mo, three time <laughs> coach of the year. All right, there you go. <laughs> appreciate you. The Super Fantastic Show.